You're listening to Coptic Orphans podcast. Cool Copts doing cool things. In our bi-weekly podcast, we will be talking with the most interesting and influential people we know in Coptic and Egyptian circles. We will also be bringing you up to speed on what Coptic Orphans is doing and how, by God's grace, we ensure that fatherless children are cared for, loved, and educated to reach their greatest potential. excited to welcome our guest Mina Busta on our Coptic Orphans podcast, Cool Cops Doing Cool Things. I'm Marina Shafiq, a communications associate here at Coptic Orphans. In our bi-weekly podcast, we'll be talking with the most interesting and influential people we know in Coptic and Egyptian circles. I'll also be bringing you up to speed on what Coptic Orphans is doing and how, by God's grace, we ensure that fatherless children are cared for, loved, and educated to reach their greatest potential. Today we have the honor of hearing from Mina Basta, an Oud player who you may know as Coptic Oud, with an impressive following on Instagram, Spotify, and YouTube. Mina grew up in a suit and now lives in California, where he has recorded intros for podcasts, played covers of songs by Um Kaltoum and Fairuz, and recorded rites and hymns for churches, particularly Holy Week Lent hymns, the month of Kiak for Advent, and Midnight Praises with his Oud. Outside of his musical abilities, Mina is an ordained anagnostis, or a reader, in the Coptic Orthodox Church, and he's currently in school getting his degrees in psychology and in theological school, and he has also presented a TEDx talk on how religion moves society forward. Mina, thank you so much for joining us, and we are thrilled to have you here on Cool Cops. Thank you so much. The honor is mine. Okay, let's get started then. Why don't you start by telling us about your musical background? How did you come to love and play the Oud? My musical background arguably starts from before I even learned music. When I was in Egypt, my mom taught me and immersed me in church, and she made me love church hymns. So arguably that is when I started loving music and wanting to be in the musical field. Now, when we emigrated from Egypt in 2011, right during the Arab Spring, we emigrated from here, and then we made it to America by a miracle, honestly. When we made it here, I entered the public education system, and I wanted to play music. I saw the opportunity open when they had string orchestra, and they were recruiting people, students, and they had a very high price tag. It was $200 at the time, and for a recently immigrated family, $200 $200 was a whole month's worth, and this was in 2011. $200 today means nothing, but back then $200 <laughs> meant something. Mm. And I remember that the principal of the school took care of the costs for me, and wow. she told my dad, I want him to join the school orchestra, he has a lot of potential, and if it wasn't for that, I don't think I would have joined. Wow, so it was really a, a principal's kindness. Yeah. Wow. So tell us how you came to play the oud specifically. It's not one of those instruments you see in a typical American high school band classroom. So the story, ever since I joined the orchestra, I started playing the violin. Later when I joined middle school, I played the cello, then the double bass. And I kept playing the double bass up until sophomore year. And sophomore year was the year I conducted an orchestra, so I wasn't really even playing bass as much as I was conducting the entire orchestra. And it was that year, in the summer between sophomore and junior year, that I got my award. 
At that time, I was still learning the basics. I had already had a foundation of music established because of my string music experience. And then I moved from one school to another, from one area to a totally different area. And the, their orchestra started really early in the morning, and I didn't want to wake up early for orchestra. So I decided to join band at the end of the day. And there was nothing else that is comparable to bass except tuba. So I ended up playing tuba for one year, and I ended up doing marching band as well. And it was it was a huge eye-opener for me, honestly. <laughs> the, the vast culture between band and orchestra is it's a, it's a wide chasm. There's a huge divide. But it was at that time that I decided that I was going to focus solely on Oud. And I think that was the year, senior year, December 2019, that I started doing Coptic Oud. I was listening to lots and lots of, not just Omni Kaltum. We, we tend to think Omni Kaltum is the oldest you can get with Egyptian music. Turns out there was much older. There's really like, there's a whole world of Arabic music and classical music that I, I didn't know at that time until then. That gave me a solid foundation for my technique on the Oud. And as Coptic Oud grew and I progressed in Coptic Oud and on my Oud skills, I started incorporating the techniques I learned in classical music into the hymns that I was playing and the melodies that I was playing. In a sense, I was resurrecting the melodies of ancient times. I mean, Christos and Istavir and Resurrection, I mean, I have to use that part. I was in a sense resurrecting the melodies of ancient Egypt and the melodies of the Coptic Church. They're so beautiful and filled densely with lots and lots and lots of rich variety of melodies. It really does evoke that kind of ancient sound, you know? It really sounds like the kind of background music they would play in one of those old movies where they're trying to evoke sort of <laughs> exotic Egyptian <laughs> sound. But tell me, how did you grow your audience so much? You said you just started in 2019. I mean, that was not very long ago. What about your playing do you think drew people to your oud and your musical abilities? That's a very good question, honestly, because I'm still surprised on now how I made it to this point. And I always thank God for this grace that he allowed me to do this in the lands of immigration. Usually the lands of immigration, you come up to any of the youth at church, do you care about church? Do you know anything about church? Nothing. You just get blank stares. Right. So I think the thing that set me apart from because there's a lot of old players, and I and I and I've seen, and I usually when I'm scrolling, I see old players play Coptic music as well. The thing that set me apart is that I'm very peculiar about how music sounds. <laughs> I'm very, very peculiar about the tuning, about the way it's orchestrated. That and the fact that I uploaded Coptic music to Spotify and reached the audience here in the United States and in Western countries. Now when someone asks me, oh, where can I find your music? I don't just open up anything. Spotify, Apple Music, YouTube Music, and Remy, Pandora, iHeartRadio. It's on every single platform you can imagine. Wow. You look up any platform, it's Coptic code is there. That's really incredible, and it definitely sounds like you've broken through the Western Coptic diaspora musical market. <laughs> it's a, it's a, it sounds like a tricky audience to wrangle, but it looks like you've gotten it. It's very tricky because they don't know anything, and you're basically shedding light on something. You're telling them your grandparents and your ancestors used to worship with this music. Mm. Your grandparents used to sing this music occasionally. Melodies like Kama Hotpot, for example, Truly Risen, or melodies like Zeyros 4, Just Like a Bird. Mm -hmm. Just Like a Bird. It's one of my favorite Tarnimas. 
It talks about how the lyrics loosely translated, just like a bird found its home, just like a joyous dove, your house, my lord, I have loved. I have loved your house forever. So there was already an association long ago with these melodies for the love of church and love of God's house. Not a lot of people here in the United States know that, especially the third generation immigrants and the second generation immigrants that have practically forgotten their culture. What I feel my duty is, is to bring that back from the archives, translate it, make sure it sounds good, and then do it. And I've done a lot of that stuff. I've translated Arabic songs and Taranim from Arabic to English. And I collab with other artists. They would sing this, I would play the music, and it sounds nice. Wow, that's really incredible. I'm really interested in the connection, I think, between the Oud and then the Coptic Orthodox faith and the church specifically. It seems like those two things are very much interwoven with each other. What do you know about the history behind it? I know you mentioned that this is how we used to worship in our churches, but how do you see that coming into play today where our churches don't have the oud, but people still interact with it as our instrument. We think of it as, as one of our instruments. It is indeed one of our instruments. The ancient Egyptians have depicted on their murals. When I went to the pyramids last May, I saw murals of people playing instruments on one of the tombs. Instruments and music has been part of our culture ever since the dawn of time. Ever since Egyptians knew music, the oud was there and the name was mm-hmm. there and the harp was there. So yeah. all of those instruments were already there. When Christianity came in, it was very easy for the hymns to be transferred from the Pharaonic culture to the Coptic culture that we know and love today. And when I was doing some research for a guest post that I did for one of the accounts, they asked me to do a guest post on the history of Aoud and Coptic music. I researched a bit and I discovered some early versions of the Aoud in a Coptic monastery in Saqqara. That's near the pyramid complex. Wow. There used to be a Coptic monastery there. They discovered some buried with the people, the monks there. If not used for official services, I know for sure that they were used for spiritual contemplation. And of course, later on, in more recent times, I discovered that a lot of the cantors in the church would record hymns on Daoud as a method of preservation. I'm not necessarily doing anything new by recording the hymns. I'm just doing it on a wider scale and I'm doing it so that it stays forever. They're just unearthing these recordings. I'm making sure my recordings stay forever. The way I was taught, it's preserved. So that my progeny in the next 100, 200, 300 years, when they look back, they see Coptic Oud, he did something for the Coptic church, for Coptic music. That's really incredible, Mina. I think that's a really noble way to combine your talents, the talents that God has given you with furthering and and preserving our heritage and our faith. So that's really incredible to hear. It's really, really a good cause for sure. Do you think you could play for us just a little snippet of uh, Of any any song that's on your mind? I'm sure everyone would love to hear. Of course, it is my pleasure. Before I even play, I want to tell you that Occasionally on my account, Coptic Ode, I go live and I tell people, let me know what you want to play, and I'll play it for you. <laughs> and that, that's usually how my lives go. But just like I mentioned earlier, just like a bird, Zayn Osbourne, one of my favorite songs, and it's so beautiful. The melody of it is so
like this. <laughs> oh, that was beautiful. That really is an incredible song. Can you repeat the name of the song one more time? Just like a bird. Zay Wow, that, that was beautiful. Thank you so much for playing for us. All right, Mina, do you have any questions for us? Oh, for sure. <laughs> Welcome to my favorite part now. <laughs> I, I have a question. Can you take me through the process of what it's like when a new child joins your program? I'm very curious how you actually find the children and have them join your program. Considering how Egypt is very, it's big and you can even get lost in just one tiny village. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, for sure. That's a good question. So we actually partner with over 60 dioceses in Egypt. And so it's the churches actually that bring families in need to our attention. So to be eligible uh, to join the programs, children have to have either lost the breadwinner of the family, so their father or sometimes both parents. The goal is to keep them with their living family members. So whether that's just the mother or sometimes it's their giddo and teta, sometimes it's an uncle or an aunt, extended family members. Our goal really is to keep them with the family that is alive because studies show that that is the healthiest place for a child to be in almost every case. So a church reaches out to our office in Egypt and says, hey, we know of this family, they could really benefit. We send uh, some representatives to that family's home and they go through a short interview process. It's maybe a couple weeks. It's pretty quick. Just like that, we determine that they are indeed eligible and they start getting regular support from us. And depending on the age of the children and how many of their children are in a family, the support looks different. Often in Egypt, I'm sure you know that the public school system is not the strongest public school system. Kids really need private tutoring to have any hope of actually getting into a good school and moving on and going to a good university. And that adds up. It's costly. Transportation is costly. It adds up over time. And especially for a family who has lost a breadwinner, this is a cost that a lot of people can't manage. We help out with tuition, with class supplies, transportation, housing, medical requests, whatever they need from us. That is our purpose. We provide that for them. That's how someone joins the program. And we stay with those kids in our program until the highest level of their school. So sometimes it's high school, sometimes it's college, and sometimes it's medical school. Medical school, graduate school, dental school, whatever. I don't think people realize the magnitude. I mean, we have children who've been with us for 20 years. That's, that's basically how old I am. Yes, exactly. So it's really, I think, unique in that sense is that it's not like a limited time. It's not a, a three-year contract or anything. We will support you as far as you go in school and give you the tools you need to thrive after you graduate, to become your own adult, and not to suffer because you lost your father or because you lost your parent. That's how the enrollment process looks like. That's, that's absolutely amazing. You reminded me actually when you mentioned about donating for education. My parents put me and my sister in private school. We were lucky. We were middle class, but we were really lucky to even get private education. And they would always pay for my expense, my sister's, and they'd always pay one additional one for anyone who couldn't have the money or support themselves enough or their family couldn't support them to get that education. So they would provide for an entire year's tuition for an extra family or extra person. That's very generous of them. That's really how children succeed is with the help of their neighbors and their family and their friends and their brothers and sisters in Egypt and overseas. So that's really incredible that your parents did that for a child, even though they weren't their own child. I am lucky to have them after all. 
I, I'd love to hear actually one of your stories from your experiences in Egypt. I'm sure you've been to Egypt more than I have, even though I've lived there nine years. No. Once. <laughs> Can you imagine I went only once? I'm, wow. sure you've been, I'm sure you've seen a lot of vivid experiences in Egypt, especially in this scenario. Tell me one that touched your heart the most. Sure, I'd love to. I just got the chance to visit the field a few months ago. We did a lot of home visits, so we went and visited the homes of families in our programs. Oh, there's so much I could tell you. <laughs> I remember one girl who stood out. I think she was about middle school age. She was, you know, she was younger. And we were at her home with her mom, and I think she had a younger brother. And we asked her about school, you know, what's your favorite subject? What do you like about school? We found out to get to her classes to school every day, she takes a bus an hour each way every day. What? She takes a bus for an hour, and it's not like a nice, it's like a tuk-tuk, you know? It's not a... <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, oh, yeah, oh, I know. For, I know all too for an hour, the two hours a day that this child, who is maybe 10 years old, is taking each way to school, and I'm thinking, I complain about my 20-minute commute, and I have a car, I'm not even in, you know, a, a bus, and there's this girl, and she's, oh, you know, I have to take the bus, but I love school, and it was, you know, she was awesome. And then before we left, we like to ask the families, we asked if you could change one thing about the world, what would it be? And we like to hear, every kid has different answers and their answers are always really cute and insightful. And this girl said that she wished every kid in the world lived close to school so that it would be easy for them to go to school. And I, Mina was like, oh my God. That is heartbreaking and it was just the sweetest thing to wish for someone else because I think if you asked like an American kid the same question, they'd be like, no more hunger, like no more war, like something, you know, <laughs> like that. And she was like, I they'd just... They'd probably say no more school. They'd probably say no more honestly, school. Honestly, yes. They would say, I wish I didn't have to go to school anymore. And this 10-year-old is sitting here with all the wisdom in the world saying, I wish that kids lived close to their schools. Like what an innocent and beautiful thing to wish for other people is no one has to travel in a tuk-tuk an hour each way to school every single day. That's my wish. The world would be better this way. And she's right. Like the world would be better that way. Indeed. But it was just such a touching story and the children in Egypt are just genuinely so sweet and loving and they love you before they even know you. They see you and they love you. Like that's it. That's the requirement. The demeanor and the kindness and the hospitality, you don't see it like that anywhere else, in my opinion. That was one of the, the many <laughs> stories that stood out with me is the transportation alone. And think of, you know, the cost that adds up over time and, and the time that that takes away and then she has to walk from the, the little place where the tuk-tuk drops them off, walk home, and it's late and she has to walk by herself. And it's just really, really incredible to hear. We we have so many blessings, genuinely, that we don't think of. That was... I, just, I, wanted, I want to tell the audience something. I went to school in Egypt, so I know how heavy backpacks can get. Yeah. And on the rare occasion that I had to walk home, or that my parents would walk us home, especially in the heat of summer in Asyut, and I had to wear a uniform. All of that combined, and, and by the way, there's no personal space in Egypt. It's like a tuk-tuk, you, you squish like yes. four or five people in a three by five. Almost. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so the, the conditions, the conditions there are horrendous. Yeah, horrendous, atrocious at best. And that's not considering how hard studying is in Egypt. Mm. Of course, like you mentioned, without special tutoring, 
Yeah. Even I saw that. Like, my parents would have their friends, the teachers, come and help me out with the lessons that they didn't understand. That's the only way I succeeded. Yeah, education is really, really a blessing that is easy to take for granted for those of us who have access to free public education. That is still quality education. And by God's grace, I mean, it is really only God that instills this sort of love for learning and this desire to succeed that all these kids have. I mean, it's really incredible to see. But Mina, I'm sorry, I think we're out of time actually for today. (laughs) I'm sorry. It has been a delight to have you on Cool Cups. We can't wait to see your talents reach even more people all over the world on Spotify and YouTube and iHeartRadio and every platform you could possibly imagine. Um, Do you have any last thoughts for our listeners before we close for today? I just want to say one thing. Hmm. When you give to God's house, God gives more. Not just to them, but to you as well. That's beautiful, Mina. Thank you. I hope everyone enjoyed hearing Mina and his wood today. And to everyone who's listening, thank you for your love, prayers, and support for the children of Egypt. On behalf of the Coptic Orphans team, thank you for listening. We look forward to seeing you on the next edition of Cool Copts Doing Cool Things. Thank you.